Is your bloodied canisters, who slipped his slimy hand under the widow's skirt, who wailed the songs of sorrow, who kept himself alive when you were willing to die. Then he meets himself after the siege, older than old, and he says to himself, alluding to Dante, I did not know death hath undone so much. It was a soul-rending poem, and I found myself hating him for it. He had written it practically on his deathbed with no apparent effort, as his thigh throbbed with pus. I tried to translate it, but neither my Bosnian nor my English were good enough. And he kept writing like a maniac, as though his resurrected life were to be entirely given over to poetry. Poems mimeographed on coarse paper bound in a frail booklet were sent to me by long unheard from friends carrying the smell and microorganisms of the many hands that had touched them on their way out of besieged Sarajevo. There were, of course, images of death and destruction. A boy rolling the body of a sniper-shot man down the street, much like Sisyphus. A surgeon putting together his wife's face after it has, blown, after it has been blown apart by shrapnel, a piece of her cheek missing, the exact spot where he liked to plant his goodnight kiss. Clusters of amputated limbs burning in the hospital oven, the poet facing the toy hell. But there were also poems that were different, and I cannot quite define the difference. A boy kicks a soccer ball up so that it lands on the nape of his neck, and he balances it there. A young woman inhales cigarette smoke and holds it in as she smiles, everything stopping at that moment. No tracing bullets lightening up the sky, no pain in my ribbon thigh. A foreign conductor hangs on a rope like a deaf spider over his orchestra playing the Eroica in a burned-out building. I must confess that I believed for a moment that I was the conductor, that I was part of Dedo's world still, that something of me was still in Sarajevo. Still, living this place's full sentiments. I had to go on with my American life, keeping Dedo out of it, busying myself with local survival, getting jobs, getting into graduate school, getting laid. Every once in a while, I unleashed the power of his words upon a sensitive American woman. The first one was Cheryl, the idle wife of a Barrington lawyer, whom I met at a Bosnian benefit dinner she was kind enough to organize. At least one Bosnian was required to benefit from her benefit dinner. <laughs> so she tracked me down through a friend, an expert in disability studies, with whom I had read a, a paper at a regional MLA conference. Cheryl was generous beyond the dinner. Before she went back to Barrington, I took her to my tiny studio, a monument to the struggles of immigration, with its sagging mattress, rutting shower curtain, and insomniac drummer next door. I recited Dada's poems to her, pretending they were my own. She particularly liked the one about the man walking during a lull in shelling with a rooster on a leash, a soul fastened to a dying animal. Then I removed the perm tresses from her forehead so that I could kiss it and slowly undress her. Cheryl, righter than my embrace, kissed me with clammy passion, hoisted her hips, and moaned with pleasure as though the intensity of her orgasm would directly succor the buzzing resistance. I could not help thinking, in the end, that she was fucking Dado, for it was his words that had seduced her. But I took what was given and then rolled off into the darkness of my actual life. After the charitable Cheryl, I was somewhat ashamed, and for a while I could not stand to look at Edo's poetry. 
I finished graduate school. I sold my stories. I was an author now. And somewhere along the way, the war ended. On my book tour, I traveled around the country, reading to minuscule audiences, talking about Bosnia to a mixture of international relations and South Slavic languages students, simplifying the incomprehensible, and fretting all along that an enraged reader would stand up and expose me as a fraud, as someone who had no talent and therefore no right to talk about the suffering of others. It never happened. I looked and conducted myself like a Bosnian, and everyone was content to think that I was in constant, uninterrupted communication with the tormented soul of my homeland. At one of those readings, I met Bill T., a professor of Slavic languages. He seemed to speak all of them, Bosnian included, and he was translating Dedo's latest book. With his red face, long curly beard, and squat sinewy body, Bill looked like a Viking. His ferocity was frightening, so I immediately flattered him by saying how immeasurably important it was to have Dedo's poetry translated in English. We went out drinking, and he drank like a true Viking, too, while detailing the sagas of his adventures in Slavic lands, a month with shepherds in the mountains of Macedonia, a year of teaching English in Siberia, his interviews with Solidarność veterans, the Slovenian carnival songs he had recorded. He had also spent some years, just for the hell of it, in Guatemala, Honduras, and Marrakesh. The man had been everywhere, had done everything, and the drunker I got, the greater he was, and the more of nothing I had to say. This was in Iowa City, I believe. I woke up the next morning on Bill T's sofa. My pants were laid out on the coffee table. Along the walls, there were dusty stacks of books. In the light fixture above me, I could see the silhouettes of dead flies. A ruddy-faced boy with a, with a gossamer mustache sat on the floor next to the sofa and watched me with enormous eyes. What are you doing here? The boy asked calmly. I don't really know, I said, and set up exposing my naked thighs. Where's Bill? He stepped out. Where's your mom? She's busy at the moment. What is your name? Ethan. Nice to meet you, Ethan. Likewise, Ethan said. Then he grabbed my pants and threw them at me. It was while I was slouching down the Linden Line Street where people nodded at me from the sunny porches and healthy-looking squirrels raced up and down trees. It was then that the story Bill, told, Bill had told me about Dada the night before fully hit me, and I had to sit down on the curb to deal with it. Dado had come to Iowa City, Bill said, to be in the International Writers Program for 12 weeks. Bill arranged it all and volunteered to put Dado up in the room above his garage. Dado arrived with a small duffel bag, emaciated and exhausted with the English he picked up while translating Yeats, and a gallon of Johnny Walker he picked up in a duty-free shop. The first week, he locked himself in above the garage and drank without pause. Every day, Bill knocked on the door, imploring him to come out, to meet the dean and the faculty, to mingle. Dedo refused to open the door and eventually stopped responding altogether. Finally, Bill broke the door down and the room was an unreal mess. Dedo had not slept in the bed at all and he was inexplicably wet. There were monstrous bloody footprints everywhere because Dedo had apparently broken the Johnny Walker bottle, then walked all over it. A box of cookies had been torn open and the cookies were crushed but not eaten. In the trash can, there were dozens of Podravka liver pate cans cleaned out and then filled up with cigarette butts. Dada was sleeping on the floor in the corner farthest from the window, facing the wall. They subjected him to repeated cold showers. They cleaned him up and aired out the room. They practically force-fed him. 
For another week, he wouldn't stick his nose out of the room. And then, Bill said, he began writing. He did not sleep for a week, delivering poems first thing in the morning, demanding translations by the afternoon. American poets used to be like that, Bill said wistfully. Now all they do is teach and complain and fuck their students on the sly. <laughs> Bill canceled his classes and set out to translate Dato's poems. It was like entering the eye of a storm every day. In one poem, Bill said, a bee lands on a sniper's hand and he waits for the bee to sting him. In another one, Dato sees an orange for the first time since the siege began and he's not sure what is inside it, if oranges have changed during his time away from the world. When he finally peels it, the smell inhales him. In another, Dato is running down Sniper's Alley and a woman is telling him that his shoe is untied and with a perfect clarity of purpose, with the ultimate respect for death, he stoops to tie it and the shooting ceases, for even the killers appreciate an orderly world. I could not believe, Bill said, that such things could come out of that pandemonium. At the end of the third week, Dado gave a reading. With a mug of Johnny Walker at hand, he barked and hissed his verses at the audience, waving a shaky finger. After Dado had read, Bill came out and read the translation slowly and serenely in his deep Viking voice. <coughs> Excuse me. But the audience was confused by Dado's hostility. They clapped politely. Afterward, faculty and students came up to Dada to ask him about Bosnia and invite him to luncheons. He visibly loaded them. He lightened up only when he realized that he had a chance to lay one of the graduate students who was willing to open her mind to other cultures. He was gone the next week, straight back to the siege, sick of America after less than a month. In the years, in the years after the war, only the occasional rumor reached me. Dada had survived a massive heart attack. He'd made a deal with his physician.